Nation, Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick alongside me here with you for a little more than an hour. And joining us now, someone who's uh, very plugged in on something a little more important, quite frankly, than what we normally talk about here, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease physician and scientist. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon. How are you today? My pleasure. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Happy to have, happy to have a chat. All right. So I, I think, um, obviously, you know, COVID's effects on society. We are constantly learning. We're constantly evolving. We are taking in new information daily. And just like society, it's affecting professional sports. We're mostly focused on, on, on the NHL here. Now, a topic, a conversation kind of throughout the league that I think some people are pushing back at, others are curious about, and, and you would have a good answer for is there's been the question of, why is the league still testing players who are asymptomatic or not showing any symptoms? You know, like a lot of workplaces, there is a testing protocol. You have to be tested several times throughout the week. What do you say when you hear people asking the question of why are we going through uh, testing for, for asymptomatic players? Is that something that is important to continue doing? And, and if so, why? I think it is important to continue to do. And I think so for a variety of reasons. For starters, it's, I think it's important to frame that in the future, and hopefully not in the distant future, but hopefully in the near future, that won't be the case. But currently it is. And here's why. It's Number one, COVID is here, and it's we're in the midst of an Omicron epidemic, and it's very much expanding rapidly. So people that keep saying it's endemic, it's endemic, let's move on. It's part of our lives. That's not entirely true yet. The epidemic is growing rapidly. Number two, if you test frequently, you can identify people quickly and you can at least identify outbreaks uh, early and prevent it from spreading to more people. You're not going to stop it, but you'll at least halt it earlier and prevent it from infecting people earlier. I think many people are correct in saying, listen, when you have a young, healthy, fully vaccinated group, the chances of severe illness are really low. And that's completely true. It would be unusual for any one of these players to have a severe illness if they were to get a breakthrough infection because of their age and everyone's basically vaccinated. But remember, we don't live in a vacuum and we still have to play in the rules of the countries and the provinces and the states that we live in. And it is still a very much a public health threat. Uh, you know, if you, I'm standing in Ontario right now, They've just imposed restrictions. The hospitals are nervous that we're going to be overwhelmed with COVID cases. You've got to abide by the rules of the of the land. And and currently COVID is deemed to be a threat, which is very accurate. So even though these individuals might not get that sick if they had a breakthrough infection, that's you, it's still a public health threat. You've got to identify and quell outbreaks quickly. This is the way you identify and quell outbreaks quickly. Okay, I'm going to be embarrassed if I'm wrong, but your dad has to be Dr. Earl Bogosh, correct? Uncle. Uncle. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, give him my regards because he was a do the orthopedic surgeon with the Toronto Maple Leafs when I was there for a few years. Great medical Amazing. advice. Yeah, but his golf <laughs> advice. The, the guy took up golfing and joined the toughest course, the National. I wasn't too big on his <laughs> golf knowledge, Isaac. I, uh, I got to say, I, like, I'm a family failure. I'm like the worst golfer in the world. I go once a year, embarrass myself buy way too many balls they all end up lost and i just have a good time walking around and having well, a drink he, well, with some friends well i, I know but he, he i mean as i said the national for beginner he wasn't any anyway, him and i weren't that great either way back when but anyway <laughs> please please give him please give him my regards but uh uh so to get back to a uh, uh family resemblance is incredibly strong but so okay to get back to layman like we are right now so we're thinking okay 
this time around, to your point, okay, as a society, if we're double vax, this thing is spreading, okay, a lot quicker than we understood when COVID first hit, but also the, the, the severity isn't the same, that we don't yet see ICUs and that being overwhelmed like it was before. Um, is there a correctness in my perspective on that? I hope there, I really, really hope there is. I really hope there is. Now, the problem is some of us, I'm not saying this is you, but some people are falling into the good news bias trap. There certainly are arrows pointing in the direction that this might actually be a milder variant. But guess what? There's also arrows pointing in the direction that it isn't. We've only known this thing's existed for a month. Like, it's okay to say we don't know yet, acknowledge the uncertainty in the data, and take a cautious approach. Uh, even if it is, and like obviously we all hope it's less less severe, but let's just go on the assumption that it is less severe. Okay, then a fewer percentage of people get sick enough to land in hospital. But remember, a small percentage of a massive number of people getting infected still ends up being a lot of people that need hospitalization. And if you're in a Canadian context, actually in many American contexts as well, your hospital systems are stretched, like they're already being stretched. So when you think about the influx of people that's going to happen, even if it's a smaller percentage of people with a milder variant, it's still going to be an, a large absolute number of people. And, you know, you can't, you can't overwhelm your healthcare system. You've got to be careful here. You saw what happened with all those canceled surgeries and stuff when our healthcare system was overwhelmed. We needed every all hands on deck, all those ventilators and uh, that are often used in operating rooms had to be put to use to to keep uh, keep people alive that needed ICU level care like it was really rough in Canada especially in Ontario in March April and May uh, we've got to avoid that at all costs yeah de- definitely I think I think people are are understanding that and it's just you know I, I and again speaking just anecdotally you hear people at their wits end and you know of course everyone you know in in your field is right there with you but you know COVID doesn't care how, how frustrated we are we all are by it you know I, I think something other people are kind of asking themselves about and you know I, I want to be clear I'm not tempting people to try this with with family bubbles over the holidays but much like a large kind of family gathering these professional teams and again I'm I'm going to focus on an NHL group you know this is 25 guys who are working together in super close proximity traveling together on buses and, and planes and potentially sharing cabs and Ubers and all of that just how how quickly can something like this kind of rapidly spread through you know we know what it can do to the overall population but when it is a group of people who are spending an inordinate amount of time kind of close together with each other just just how quickly can can something kind of rip through a group of people like that Yes, it's a, it's a matter of days, like, and actually less. Like, there might just be a single exposure where so many people are uh, infected as part of a single exposure. And we've seen it happen. I mean, we've seen it happen in the NHL with uh, different outbreaks on different teams. We've seen it happen with some well, highly publicized parties, including uh, the MLSE party uh, and a few other. Uh, there was a party of uh, healthcare professionals um, in Spain, a big party in Oslo. You know, and, and at these parties, most people have two doses. Some part of these parties, everyone has, many people have three doses of the vaccine. Many people get infected. I think it's fair to say, and it's important that people recognize, like, this isn't fear-mongering. This isn't doom and gloom. It's just like, let's just talk about this so we don't stick our head in the sand. Two doses of the vaccine is still really helpful. It's not like the vaccine does nothing. These vaccines really help. That You know, they're, they're going to be less helpful preventing infection. But what they do is they prevent severe infection. They really do, and they really help keep, keep people out of hospital. 
Three doses appears to provide better protection than two. It's still early. Obviously, we're still learning more, but all the data is also pointing in that direction. Three doses is better than two. The numbers are hard because, you know, it's still early and the numbers can change, but it looks like now two doses might have about 40%. The effectiveness might be about 40% in preventing uh, symptomatic infection, whereas three doses might be about 70%, which is, you know, a lot better than nothing. Uh, but again, I think two and three doses will do a lot to keep people from getting severely ill. And that's good news. I mean, most people have been vaccinated. We've got a ton of vaccines in, in Canada. Obviously, there's issues getting third doses now. It's a pain in the butt. and There's a lot of inefficiencies in the rollout, which is frustrating to say the least. But, you know, they're vaccinating more and more people every day with those third doses. And I think that's going to go a long way. Uh, so, Dr. Bogosh, uh, like, you know, can you get COVID again? Like, at what? Like, could the herd immunity actually come into play here? Could it be like catching the flu, a type of flu every year that you need a flu shot down the road? I mean, where, where do you where do you see this part of it possibly going? Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, quite frankly, I think it's fair to say that I have no idea, and I don't think many other people do either. But here's a likely scenario. Here's a likely scenario. Over the next, I don't know, few months, basically. Everyone will either have been vaccinated with two doses, three doses, or have gotten COVID, or have gotten vaccinated and have got COVID as well. And essentially what I'm trying to say is you've got a lot of community-level immunity. Most people will have antibodies and an immune response to COVID. And that doesn't mean COVID's going away. It just means when it rolls through town again, you know, yeah, some people will get symptomatic and have a cough and a cold, but hopefully it's not significant enough to disrupt our society like it is now because there's just buildup of community-level immunity and community-level protection. I really think we'll get there. Like, there is, as crappy as it seems right now, there will be a day where we're not all wearing masks. There will be a day we won't have capacity limits. You know, we won't have to rapid test and do all this stuff. Like, this, like everything else, this pandemic is going to come to an end. doesn't mean the virus goes away, but all the stuff we're dealing with where it disrupts society as significantly as, as it is right now, this will come to an end. It's just we've got a, a rough two months ahead of us that's for sure okay i think i think that you know no one no one likes to hear it's going to be a rough two months but that's better than a rough two years that, that we all yeah. kind of uh we're potentially looking at and and lo and behold we're looking at uh as as 2020 uh rolled around uh last one for me before i let you go just a kind of simple bigger picture uh you know again not to go too deep down this rabbit hole people are going to do what they're going to do around this holiday season what is your advice for people out there who are going to be and even people who are planning to do it relatively safely gathering in small numbers staying within their bubbles what is your advice to people throughout this this holiday season i always thought it was ridiculous when people said you know cancel christmas like no way give me a break we're social creatures we can do this safely and that's the key thing is just do it safely like, keep the gatherings on the smaller end of the spectrum. Uh, if you, you know, if you haven't been vaccinated, it's a perfect time to get dose one, dose two, or, or dose three. Um, you know, if you're in a setting with other people, I mean, uh, masks help. They're not perfect, but they certainly help if you're in an indoor setting. Obviously, it's ridiculous if people are gathering for dinner or drinks, you're not going to wear a mask. You know, you can have better ventilated indoor spaces by opening a window or a door and cranking the heat because it's December and early January. Um, You know, if you have access to rapid tests, if everyone tests negative uh, right before you get together for an indoor venue, that adds another layer of protection. All of these are layers of protection that create safer indoor spaces. And that's it. This virus is primarily transmitted indoors. You've got various layers of protection. They're mostly readily available. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, you can have a safer holiday season and, and not get COVID. Well, like well I said, uh, please give regards to Dr. Earl and just tell him if uh, him and I and you, I guess, if we ever don't want to get COVID, just play at the National again because we're not near anybody else on the golf course, right? <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you so much, Dr. Uh, there he goes, Dr. Isaac uh, Bogosh. And, uh, yeah, if we're, if we're handing out invites to the National, I know uh, a couple of guys who cover golf on the station, namely me, and producer Sam McKee, uh, you know, if invites for golfing are, are floating around anywhere, I always have to uh, throw our hat in the uh, the ring there. Uh, I thought that was a pretty informative uh, talk with the doc. Uh, Gord, uh, you were one off. You know, you're always giving me a hard time for uh, having my distant cousin, not really, but sort of Michael Bunting, uh, giving him all the love. So, so you went and found a familial uh, connection, uh, somebody whose cousin yeah. or whose uncle you knew. So I liked you leveling the playing field there. Well, you know, his, his uncle, Dr. Earl Bogosh, was the orthopedic surgeon for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, in the late 80s. They, a guy named Dr. David Hastings was there before, uh, Dr. Daryl Ogilvy Harris then. I mean, very fortunate to be around, like, these preeminent guys. Isaac looks more, like, he, he looks like he's the son of, of Earl. But uh, for golf thing, when I went out once with, I've only golfed the National twice, and one was Earl Bogosh invited me. We were talking about the whole Toronto Maple Leafs scene on a warm Friday afternoon in June. And he just said he took up golfing and he joined the national and we walked the course and we were both brutal. It's an incredibly difficult course and it was exhausting. It was great, great exercise. And uh, I played it one other time. Actually, Jeff Jackson, who's now a player agent, it was through uh, when he was uh, working with a law firm. So you and guys like Sammy would kill it on that course. That's a, that's a great course, but man, that's a difficult course. There would be some murder going on. I think it would be the course uh, to us. But, yes, uh, hey, number two course in Canada, if you'd like to have us. Uh, we're, we're more more than willing. And I, I feel like I hear him chuckling in the background. Sammy, something tells me you'd be oh. A-OK with an invite to the National if you is came my, our way. Oh, is my mic on? Oh, uh, sorry. No, I, I just said, yeah, I don't think – I don't know. I think uh, Gordo, because we host the golf show, greatly overrates how good of golfers we are. Uh, the National would definitely kick Gunning and I both between the pants. But, uh, yeah. I would like to go. So, like you said, happy to be invited. Yeah. Pain, they say they say uh, there's plenty of beautiful things in life, and uh, pain, courtesy of the National, would definitely uh, definitely be, be one of them. <laughs> you know, I thought that was I, – I think it was kind of important for us to get an answer from somebody who knows, right? Like, Gord, you, you talk to so many people in this game. We all kind of talk to our friends. We're all trying to figure it out. And it's just kind of nice to hear from, from the doc there. And honestly, I think the most – I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's encouraging. Look, it stinks. There's 10 teams that are shut down right now. The Olympics are not happening, at least the way we thought they were going to. That feels like all but a certainty. But I do feel a little hair of, of optimism there that if we can kind of weather the storm for a couple of months. And look, I know we've all heard it before, but I, I found myself a touch more optimistic after, after hearing from the doctor there. Well, I, I was so glad Sam lined him up because what I like about Dr. Isaac Bokosh is the layman's terms that he, that he talks. Like some talking heads I've got tired of and more than tired of and kind of please move on. I don't mean medical. I just mean some medical, but just in general, political, you name it. But he's one that uh, I never get tired of. And, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned about, uh, you know, curling. Our, our curling group includes Paul Cook, who anchors 680 News, and his wife is Stephanie Smythe, who works for the competition. And, and Dr. Bogosh appears on the competition quite a bit with her on CP24. And, like, he's, he's just he's excellent at, at what he does, whether, you know, appears on us or all the mediums that way. And just even today, cancel Christmas. Are you nuts? For, you know. Like, you know, come on, like, you know, get out, just be smart, be vigilant, just go about it intelligently. Like, 
Just think. That's all. Just think, you know, and, and, and I just like saying, let's just use good old-fashioned common sense when it comes to this. We were overwhelmed by fear and a lot of other things 21 months ago. We've had 21 months' experience, be able to see what's gone on, and let's, you know, let's, let's to, to be, be vigilant, let's respect it, but also let's just use common sense. 21 months, eh, fellas? Boy, it's, you know, the time goes... I feel like time goes by at the quickly at the at normal times, but I really feel like that's been the f- fastest 21 months in human history. It just feels like maybe Not the, the first month. and the longest at the same time. Yeah, that <laughs> well, first month. You, my, you remember the first month, March? It felt like it was 20 years. Honestly, March like and April. I, Champagne problems here. Champagne problems here. But, like, and again, again, like, people have had it far, far worse. My wife and I had a Vegas trip lined up for, like, the week after everything got shut down. And, uh, you know, unbeknownst to us, that would have been the last uh, big shebang before before Baby Gord came along. So, you know, the last kick of the can uh, just – and I'm sitting there in February going – do you think there's a chance it'll be okay <laughs> and we can go to Vegas and eat at buffets and, and sit in smoke-filled casinos? Do you think with no ventilation, can we do that? Yeah, that uh, that was a little foolish uh, in hindsight yeah. there. Yeah. I, 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 I would like, like to. The months, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, I felt like the days felt long and the weeks felt fast. Every day seemed like it was 100 years, but then it was, oh, it's Monday again, because you're just doing the same thing over and over and over. But I, wow. the thing that I took out of what he said there was the encouraging part that, you know, like you guys had mentioned, that maybe it's going to be a couple more long months here, and then maybe we can kind of return to some sort of normalcy or whatever. But yeah. who knows? Honestly, we've been hearing that for a while, so we, who really knows? But as long as as long as long uh, old Ford doesn't close a golf course in the spring, we should be fine. I liked your literary prose there. What the days felt long, but the wings, the weeks felt fast. That's like great literary prose there by Sam McKee. I was trying to think, <laughs> Sam, can you imagine Brent at in Vegas? I want to see him playing the nickel slots, trying to flag down the drink server for those free drinks that are supposed to be reserved for, like, the blackjack roulette wheels, right? And he's over at that the nickel a, slots. Yeah. Excuse me, excuse me, uh, double rum and coke or double rye and ginger or whatever kind of deal. I'd like to see that. That is exactly I'm, what would have been happening, except change nickel slots to nickel bets placed on any sport I can find. Ooh, can I, can I, get, a, can I get a diamond on this face-off? Who will win? I like Matthew's chances. <laughs> like, uh, that would have been I've me never been 1,000%. I know. I'd never been never either. Been I, it just felt like a thing. I was supposed to check off, and now, you know, now I'm an old father, and who knows? Uh, I'd who loved. Knows. I'd love to do like a guys trip there and go and see the the Leafs play the Knights, or maybe do something like that, and it'd be so cool. But I mean, guess what? I work in radio. I'm not the I'm not the type of guy to go to Vegas. Like you need to be <laughs> these days. It feels like you got to have the big money to go and be Vegas and have fun, or be a woman. I feel like women have way more fun. They get way more access to stuff in Vegas than guys do. Than schlubby thirty five year old white guys get. <laughs> yeah, and and let's be honest. As far as free comps go, uh, I think I think we're all kind of comped out. Uh, of like as good as it gets for us is when the pizza gets put in the press box at uh, Scotiabank. Oh my god! Who, who knows when we'll get to experience that? that People are throwing bows for that pie. <laughs> oh, they are, and we can't eat. Like, so here's the thing. Obviously, we'd all love there to be a game, but if you couldn't eat any pizza or ice cream, and I'm including all of us in this. Is there really a point? Is there really a point of of the Leafs uh, playing? Kind of joking, kind of not. Oh, man. It's just, it's unreal, I'm, everything that's been happening here. I'm very upset about that Thursday game because that Thursday game's always fun. Was it the next generation one? Is it just because it was at 2 o'clock? Is that what they were doing? I think so. I saw the 2 o'clock start and presumed it was going to be the Young Guns or Next Generation or whatever they call it game. 
Yeah, that game was always so much fun, and like Gordo remembers, we were there for the crazy one, the the one with Marner scoring on, you know, like the, I think they had a huge comeback, I forget what the score was, but it was great. Against the Canes. Was, yeah, Jake Gardner. awesome Jake, one against yeah. the, yeah. J- Jake Gardner got, a good one uh, against the Wild, too. Yeah, Jake Gardner got a video tribute at the first break of the Carolina-Toronto game, afternoon game, and the Leafs were up 3 nothing. It was like six minutes into the game, and he got like the he got like a video tribute thing. He's down three nothing anyway, and then but then it got wild and woolly. It got entertaining after that. It's actually hilarious. When I went to the Raptors Knicks game, which was I guess a couple Fridays ago, December tenth. That feels like two years ago now that I went to a full arena and went to a full bar afterwards. But anyways, I I dodged the Omicron that night. But um, they gave R.J. Barrett this big like uh tribute because he plays for Canada basketball of course and it was after the first quarter and the Raptors were up like 30 to 10 and he was just sitting there with like his head in his hands and he's like okay yeah I guess it was very similar to that Jake Gardner tribute that I remember so fondly oh man oh I I love a good tribute and uh man it's amazing to see who gets them and honestly like again we talk about champagne problems who knows when the games will be back being played if there's yeah, not fans you're in gonna building say. for for Zach Hyman's return to Toronto it just feels like we're missing a moment there. And again, when the Oilers come to town, it's about McDavid. But Hyman's first time back, like, sometimes we joke about, oh, the heartbeat of a team. And that was a real heartbeat of a team moment. And I, I really, really, really hope there's there's fans in the building when uh, whenever Hyman, Hyman ends up. And uh, Carolina on the, on the Monday, too, with Freddie coming back. So it's like a yeah. big return week. So, anyways... Well, it's yeah, not, would, uh... by the way, guys, it's not, it's not just sentiment. The reason the Boston-Montreal game was canceled was NHL presidents and that and owners said no, no. They played that Montreal-Philadelphia game with no fans. They were looking that that was probably going to happen, the Boston-Montreal. They said we are not going there again uh, regarding no revenue. So there's two parts to it, the sentiment, but also no. Just Gary Bettman just announced, thought, you know, we're coming out of it uh, economic-wise, and all of a sudden you start playing in half-filled buildings too long or with no fans. Uh, look at the hit it does on the revenue. So that that's another factor to weigh in about how long this particular thing uh, may get postponed or delayed. They don't want to go back to empty buildings for sure. No, def- definitely not. And uh, plenty of teams want to see that cap going up, and you know the players do as well. Uh, coming up next, Leafs Nation, we're going to continue here. Head out west. Remember the Canucks? The Leafs were supposed to play them. It was going to be so exciting. They were going to be so upset that the game was happening at 4 o'clock. And what exactly type of magic is Bruce Boudreaux concocting out there? Our pal John Garrett joins us next. We continue on Leafs Nation on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Leafs Nation, Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick here with you, keeping the seats worn for real kipper and born. Uh, they'll, they'll be back next week. And as producer Sam McKee stated off the top of the show, man, work work smarter, not harder. Great, great week uh, by, by them to take off. We're happy to be here now. And joining us now, uh, John Gary. See him all the time on Sportsnet here. I'm on 650 out there covering the Canucks. John, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. You know, uh, wish wish we had some hockey games to talk about or, or watch or, you know, to, appearing on the horizon. But other than that, I think uh, I think we're doing well. You know, we were all excited 
for this Leafs-Canucks matchup. You know, Bruce Boudreaux, of course, you know, Toronto's son. He's out there. He's got the team rolling. It was going to be such a fun game. And, and of course, it didn't end up happening. But, yeah, let's let's just start off by talking about Boudreaux. You know, it, it seems like, to, to an outsider, it's kind of as simple as a breath of fresh air and a really positive guy in a situation that's that's needed that. is Am I making it too simple there? Uh, no, and I, I think the fact that he's completely from outside, I think that really helped. Uh, I think that uh, they Travis and Nolan and uh, even Jim Benning had been here a long time, relatively speaking. Uh, Travis was, what, the third longest tenured coach in the league. And I think that the players just... Uh, and Paul Maurice said it so well when he resigned from the Jets that there's only so many buttons you can press. There's only so many things you can do. And then when the team doesn't respond, then what do you do? I, and I look at how Travis treated Elias Patterson this year. And Elias had, there's lots of excuses why he got off to such a bad start. But he is such a key component, he and Brock Besser, for the Canucks, offense in particular, <laughs> Uh, and uh, Elias and uh, Quinn held out, and Elias missed the last 30 games last year of a 56-game schedule. So uh, I really think that he was behind to start, but uh, Travis tried to get him going. Uh, The first nine games, he played more than 19 minutes a game, Uh, sat down with him. They watched video. They did all the things that coaches, the buttons that Paul Maurice was talking about, that you can press and then you cut back his ice time and you put him on the third line and uh, you don't get the response you want. And I think that's what Paul was saying with the Winnipeg Jets was uh, there's only so much a coach can do after a, a long period of time with the same players. And I think Travis has kind of had kind of reached that. And then you bring in a guy like Bruce who uh, Gord, you, you and I have known Bruce since he was a Toronto Marley almost uh, I played with him with the Minnesota Fighting Saints way back when, when he first turned pro. And uh, he is such an uh, uh, enthusiastic guy. He, he's just, and it's contagious. He, he's, he's called Gabby for a reason. He loves to talk hockey. And uh, I think that him coming in and everybody had a clean slate, guys that had never killed penalties before. Uh, now we're killing penalties and guys who had never played on the power play were now in the power play and uh, Bruce told them they had a fresh slate and uh, the players responded and it it helps that uh, Thatcher Demko just got absolutely on fire he was the first star of the week and uh, when your goaltending's playing that well uh, it makes the coach look a lot better. Uh, Cheech, we miss your frequent visits to Leaf Nation. I know you miss being here in the <laughs> yes. land of the blue and white, right? Yes. Hey, Gord, did you think I was doing the game on Saturday? Huh. Did I think you were yeah. doing the game on Saturday? Um, the Toronto-Vancouver yeah. game. Do you think I was doing that game? Um, why? Were they flying in somebody else in special to do it? Is that right? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Right. Hey, I would have hey, picked you. Gord, picked... Gord, come on, come on. It's the Leafs. You know we are not worthy. It's the Leafs, Gord. 
So, so you know something, Brent? John is born in Ontario, right? But he is now... Uh, he, he is now the, the guy that just cannot help. To, I remember talking to Brian Burke once. Okay, he's on the show like you are, gracious guest. He's president of the Vancouver Canucks, and Leafs in Vancouver are playing that week. And he goes, "Well, we got to start at four o'clock because got to satisfy everybody in Toronto." And guess where Burkey is eight years later? Toronto, <laughs> yeah. right? And <laughs> loving that four o'clock start. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I got to, but you bring up a point there about, okay, so it's funny. Bruce Boudreaux's first career NHL goal was against Jim Rutherford. His rookie year was that year. You're a 24 year old John Garrett. You talk about goaltending, the Minnesota Fighting Saints. Harry Neal's the coach. Enigma Mike Walton leads the team in scoring. Dave Keon's on that team. Johnny Pieface McKenzie's on that team. Teddy Hampson, uh, Hampson, great scout with St. Louis. Kurt Brackenberry, the legend, Paul, uh, Paul Holmgren, just getting inducted in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. What an interesting group! What was that experience like? Oh, it was it was crazy, and the and the whole WHA situation. Uh, and people talk about the four teams that got to the NHL, but the the Minnesota Folding Saints was one of our nicknames, and uh, <laughs> the guys would leave practice early on payday so that their checks would go through. I remember Johnny McKenzie, halfway through practice, he just goes, he leaves and everybody's thinking, well, where's he going? And and he goes back, he goes, well, I was going to the bank. I know that there's only enough money for a certain number of guys, so I want to be one of the first guys at the bank. (laughs) Uh, But Bruce and uh, Gord, uh, Bruce was such a great junior and just phenomenal numbers and the captain of the Marlies when they won the Memorial Cup and uh, but you've seen him skate, <laughs> and uh, such great hands, and uh, but he just couldn't skate well enough. And even then, uh, he he just he had such a passion for the game. And you look at all the years he played in the American League and the points that he put up in the American League, and uh, the NHL was just that half a step faster than Bruce could go. I feel like I'd really be doing everybody a disservice if I didn't just circle back to Johnny Pieface McKenzie. You know, nowadays guys are nicknamed JT or PK or, you know, Soupy, stuff like that. We got soup here. There's a mil- There's been soups all throughout hockey history. We don't have great nicknames like Pieface that I just heard from you guys. I, I-, I could sit here and listen to you two talk about the- these teams all day. This is incredible. <laughs> Gord, to be politically correct, though, now a lot of the a lot of the nicknames that we used to use, uh, like you couldn't call a guy the Strangler now, and that a couple of the guys were Stranglers and uh, Dave Killer Hansen. I mean, could you call him Dave Killer Hansen now? No. Yeah. So, uh, you, to be politically correct, you have to uh, some of the nicknames that were really the good ones you couldn't use today. Well, you know, now an opponent of yours, I don't think he ever was a teammate. So talk about Jim Rutherford. I mean, you know, these are, I thought they're going to hire John Garrett as GM or maybe starting goaltender, <laughs> given Boudreaux and Rutherford being hired. But uh, uh, talk about that particular hire. I'm hoping it extends my broadcasting career. Uh, and here's news for you, Gord. Uh, remember 1977 World Championship? Yeah. And it was the first time that the uh, pros were back again and, uh, Alan Eagleson was in charge, so he was bringing everybody. Uh, Jim Rutherford and I were teammates kind of on that team because oh, wow. uh, we had a taxi squad before a taxi squad was in vogue. And uh, the goaltenders were Tony Esposito, uh, Jimmy, 
Rutherford, and I think Jules Malash might have been there too. But then John Davidson and I uh, were two extra goalies, and we were on a group that uh, we practiced once in a while, but we didn't practice every day. Uh, they sent us to Rome to get out of their hair because we were having too much fun. But there was J- J.D. and I and Mark Napier and uh, Donnie Murdoch and Ron Greshner and uh, Dave Maloney and uh, Glenn Sharpley. I mean, it was just <laughs> – and we had so much fun. It-, it was just a blast. But Jimmy and I were teammates on that 77 team. I guess we could call it teammates. Yeah, yeah so I, what guess, about, I guess yeah. you would. Go, so, you know what, Gord? Keep going. I don't. I, this is too good. I do not want to get in the way of this. So if you've no, got no, another that, one, no, please no, no. go. I just wanted to talk about the. Then you're thinking about the hire. You're sitting back, and I, I don't know whether you saw the Bruce Boudreaux hiring coming, and then about Jim Rutherford and the team you cover about Jimmy being the guy. Jimmy taking the job from another Jimmy uh, being the guy for the Canucks now. Yeah. Uh, well, Jimmy Rutherford, his his resume is so deep, and uh, he, he's done such great work wherever he's been and he's uh media savvy i mean he's and that's one of the things that i think jim benning uh one of his downfalls unfortunately for him was that uh and you've seen his press conferences uh, he wasn't as media savvy as a lot of the guys have to be now when you're a general manager or you have a president of the team and the canucks didn't have a president when Trevor Linden left, uh, that kind of left a void for who was going to do the public speaking. And so Travis Green was doing it every day. And then when Travis was under the gun, then uh, people expected Jim to do it. And, and Jim's, uh, well, you know, well, you know, and his press conferences were, uh, Jim's a great scout, great hockey guy, great hockey mind. And you look at uh, his draft picks, uh, Brock Besser, Rookie of the Year candidate, Quinn Hughes, Rookie of the Year candidate, Elias Pettersson, Rookie of the Year. I mean, you look at those picks right there and you say, well, okay, that's pretty good scouting. And uh, Jim was a great scout and uh, a great hockey ops guy. But as a general manager, it's an all-encompassing field. And I I think some of the deals that he made, uh, the Louis Erickson one is one that – uh, didn't work out the way he thought. He thought Louis Erickson and, and the Sedins were going to create magic even as the Sedins' career was coming to an end. And that just didn't work out, and they were stuck with that seven-year, six million per, or was it the other way around? But anyway, they were stuck with Louis' contract. And he was able to get rid of that, and I think that's why uh, this year the expectations were so high. Uh, that uh, everybody was coming back, the young guys were signed, uh, but I think they underestimated the value of uh, the in-room uh, Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Alex Adler, those guys who were the kind of the uh, guiding light uh, in the room and for the performance on the ice. And once those guys were gone, it's a it was a tough job for the young guys to take over. Yeah, that is that is such a kind of kind of underrated part of it. And, you know, we always think the hardest thing about building a team is kind of getting those pillars. But as you mentioned, they've got them in place in, in Vancouver. You know, obviously Pedersen hasn't had the season he, he's wanted so far, but I think we all still think that's a guy you absolutely can can build around up front. Hughes on the back end, uh, Besser, a, as you mentioned there. But it does feel like, you know, 
it's easy to know what a team should do when they're in the middle of a complete rebuild and they're tearing everything down. That's easy. Or it's easy when, you know, there's one clear piece that's needed. But a team like the Canucks, it just feels like they're in, I, I don't want to say the mushy middle, but it's just they're, they're in a spot where what exactly is the fix? What exactly do you need to do? Is it some of that personality-driven stuff like you talked about? Or are they just kind of, do they just need to kind of improve the roster as a whole and give the, the those kind of pillar-type pieces we talked about a little more help? Uh, it's hard to to look at it and say, well, okay, they have to rebuild. You look at the defense, and they've got Quinn Hughes, who is a star. Uh, Look at his stats. Look at the way he plays. Quinn Hughes is a star. They've got Thatcher Demko, who is uh, one of the elite goaltenders in the league, probably if the U.S. goes to the Olympics, probably one of the American goalies in the Olympics. And uh, you look up front, and Elias Pettersson, when he's playing well, he was rookie of the year. Uh, Bo Horvat, uh, JT Miller, uh, they should have enough. Uh, who do they play with Quinn Hughes? Okay, you've got Tyler Myers, not really a, a fit with Quinn Hughes. And I, I think they thought Travis Hamanick was going to be, and then he had his problems. And uh, I think they need help on the defense for sure. And their third and fourth line is is a little repetitive. They thought Jason Dickinson was going to help their penalty killing, and uh, it was just absolutely atrocious at the start of the year. And it's getting better now, but it's still, what, 68% unheard of. That is unheard of. I mean, you you, you got to expect that to get better. I, I'm wondering, best-case scenario, and obviously when you say best-case scenario, probably all the 32 teams will bite to best-case scenario, but could this be a version of what the St. Louis Blues were, what, three years ago? I'm not necessarily in the Stanley Cup, but you never know. That all of a sudden from hitting rock bottom and getting momentum for what is a very good team, the sky could be the limit. Uh, I think... <laughs> Yeah, you're putting me on the spot here, but I, I really think that uh, a positive turnaround leading into next year would be if they end up with, uh, say, 88 points or 90 points, that would be a real turnaround for this team from where they are, were at when Bruce took over. And if they had that kind of turnaround, whether they make the playoffs or not, it would be show that the team's headed in the right direction and that you're not into a rebuild. But if they can't do that, uh, then you have to look at it and say, okay, and Jim Rutherford will. You look at his record wherever he's been, uh, he makes deals, and they're usually good deals. And uh, then the Canucks will be on the market to bring in some new pieces. Where where do the Sedins play play into all of this? You know, obviously, you know, Linden has, has had a role where he is front and center. You know, they're kind of next in, in the lineage of, of guys who meant so much to that franchise. The fact that there's two of them kind of, you know, not, not to say in a bad way, but definitely complicates things a, a little more. Are they kind of in a wait and see, wait and learn? Or what, what do you think the kind of master plan is for, for the Sedins in Vancouver? Or may, maybe there isn't one. It's just kind of see how things go. I think they're in a wait-and-learn situation. I'd I'd say three years down the road that they'd be a much bigger part of what's going on with the Canucks. Uh, Jimmy Rutherford has talked about having three assistant GMs, and he's hired uh, the guy from Pittsburgh. Oh, his name eludes me right now. Derek Clancy, is it? Yeah, that's correct. I think it's Derek Clancy. Not Ken Clancy. 
No, but Derek another Clancy. One. Yes, and he is uh, he is one of Jim's friends from Pittsburgh and a uh, long time there and was scouting uh, for Calgary. So he's one of the three. And there's lots of names being kicked around uh, for the other two, but uh, I think somewhere along the line you'll see Henrik and Daniel be more involved. They're uh, they're taking it very seriously right now. It's not just a, a figurehead retirement type thing. They've been in Abbotsford more than any other of the Canucks brass uh, watching the prospects play. And uh, so I, I think they'll get more involved and everybody knows their work ethic and uh, their drive and they'd be a good addition for any team. Well, just want to let you know, John, the important stuff before uh, I Googled pie face because I was wondering. Now, it says here that it was the nickname of one of Dennis the Menace's best friends way back when. So um, his love of pies, favorite pies include yes. meat pies, well, fish Dave pies, Lowry. pies. Dave Lowry, now the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Look at his nickname. It's pie face. He's got the big wow. round melon. So that's <laughs> it, yeah. Well, there, there, you, there you go. The round so, face, pie face. Pie face. And, oh, and of course, I'm, you know, we should end there. I want that to be the bookends of this wonderful conversation, talking about Johnny Pieface McKenzie. And who knew there were many a pie faces uh, in the game of hockey. Uh, holidays are coming up. This guy, he's going to be a pie face for sure. Uh, John Garrett, thanks so much. Honestly enjoyed the not honestly enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed uh, the chat with you today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And Gord is uh, pie face. Is that on your diet? I mean, you you're always on some crazy diet. You can't eat pies. I'm uh, no Cheech. I haven't seen you for a long time, and it's. Uh, I, I guess I'm the absence is maybe just to eat a lot of pies and that I have now. I, I have pie oh, body. Good. Okay, I'm good. pie body. Oh, that's good. That's good. You're back to being your old self. That's better. That's correct. Okay, we'll that's talk to you later. Sounds good. <laughs> oh, there he goes. Uh, we better let him go before he uh, ethers me uh, on on our own show. Uh, John Garrett. There he goes. Uh, love, love, love getting him on. Man, uh, that that's to me. Look, this show is at its best when we're just having some fun, and especially leading into the holidays, four-day week. That's what I want this show to be this week. Hearing about random nicknames from uh, many moons ago uh, in hockey history and just getting your friends on. Because, man, that was, a, that was a blast, Gordo. Well, you know, we, and we, we have some time. I know Sam takes texts. I mean, at time throughout the week. I don't mean just now, but, yeah, like, you know, Tiger's such a great one. We saw Tiger Woods on the weekend, but, of course, Tiger Williams was just such, you know, a, a, a name that came synonymous with uh, the nickname. And, uh, you know, you're, you're right about that. Like, just what are, the, what, are the, are there, what are the great nicknames now, but also some of, the, some of the great ones and socially acceptable nowadays ones from yesteryear that, 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 that you loved, right, and that I, that I miss nowadays, good nicknames. Yeah, they're really, like, there just aren't any anymore. Like, Sid the Kid, I think we all kind of don't appreciate it anymore because it's been around for so long. That's a pretty good one. The Grade 8 for Ovechkin, okay. I mean, we just call him Ovi. I feel like that's a little better. But, again, it's also kind of boring. Uh, McKee, I, I saw you chuckling away and enjoying that conversation uh, al- alongside me there. Uh, what do you? Uh, what, what, what did you make of hearing the wonderful – were you as taken aback when you heard Pie Face McKenzie? Oh, mic on, buddy. Okay, so there I got this go. new headset because I got this new headset, and it's the opposite of my old headset with the button thing. So it's like I don't know if it's ever on or if it's on. Anyways, I'm just you know, it's we've only had 21 months of working from home. I should probably figure it out by now. Love Pie Face. Also, my old man texted me about uh, John Garrett, who is from Trenton, and my dad is from Wooler, who's just it's just outside 
of um, just outside of, of Trenton is Wooler. And he texted me saying, and I just lost the text, talking about he, how John Garrett worked at the Old Dominion in Trenton and uh, was knew my grandma Lois on that side. So there you go. Little well, John you know, Garrett so, action. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully Justin calls him, me his beloved dad rather than my old man texted me. But, you know, you should, <laughs> you should text John Garrett that because when he used to come here, he would go visit family in Trenton when he would come here for sports night. He used yep. to do the panel with Kipper and, and Darren Millard, so he would love to hear that. Oh, Yeah, I'll give him a text. So, yeah, That's... and then I, I also would be, re- I would be remiss if I didn't uh, speak of my dad. Give him a shout-out today. He retired today from being the uh, president of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Own Sound. 29 years he was in the role of it. So, and never never made wow. $1 off of it. Volunteer position, 29 years of it. So, and he was retired. He's retiring in the, uh, just at the start of January. So, wanted to give the old man a shout-out on that one, too. So, it's a Mr. McKee hour there, but just wanted to say that. What's his first name? Andy. Andy, yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Really a thank you for that. Wow. Yep. That's more that's more impressive yep. than, you know, re- retiring from a, a a big real job. That kind of thing to give uh that way unselfishly for 26 yes, years. Sir. Wow, way to go. Thank you. Yeah, well done. And that takes there the bitterness out, out of my mouth because the last fact you told me about your your old man was that he was so excited about all the the uh, nature restoration going on at a golf course we like to play that it was oh, yeah. so now he's back in my good books uh, there so yes absolutely a mac andy mckee uh congrats uh volunteer work uh like you said gord uh, yeah that's uh it's well done well done on him and uh well ju- well done on you you should uh you should clip this i don't know how you put an audio file in a stocking but there it is right there and <laughs> yeah, i'll send it to him later. right there uh make sure make sure that makes its way uh up to Owen sound uh for for the holidays there oh man this has been uh it's funny when we're, you know, we're, we're all kicking things around on the weekend, figuring out, okay, what do we want to do? Who do we want to talk to? And, you know, the show, we, you know, we're, we're here doing it this week, but we're trying to keep it in the spirit of, of Real Kipper and Born. They love to have a ton of fun. And as we're sitting here talking about doing an entire show that focuses on uh, pretty much nobody playing games in the NHL right now, I feel like we actually managed to have a ton of fun today. It feels like we were able to get a little good news out of the doctor. We heard about Pie Face and uh, I, I'm I'm thoroughly happy with how today went. That we uh, is my headset connected? I can't. Am I connected? Hold on. I can't tell. Do I have to jiggle? <laughs> oh, say it again. Say it again. Oh, I have say it again. Feed. I believe I'm hearing Ben Ennis right now. Oh no, okay, I yeah. got it. I thought I, I thought that was part of a okay. I thought that I did was too. Kind of I thought goof. that was I thought that was wonderful production, courtesy yeah. uh, courtesy our guy our guy uh, Derek behind the scenes there. I mean, he's always so well, creative. Uh, yeah, that was well. I, that's the I, ultimate. I thought that was just compliment. a great shot. I, I thought it was a great shot show. at Sam McKee. Oh man, uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, hey, hey, uh, live, uh, live radio, live podcast again. It's fine. It's there. Uh, fun, fun little curveball. But I mean, Gord, when we're, when we're looking ahead at, at this week, you know, I think I think what we want to do is we we're going to have fun. We're going to kind of look around the league. But I think this is as good a time as any with everybody kind of on pause. And you know, you're always doing this thing. You're you're keeping abreast of what's going on in the league. But I think that this kind of gives us a chance here on the Leafs Nation feed to kind of dial in, see what's going on with other teams because. 
unfortunately, everybody's kind of got to take a pause right now, and it gives us a perfect time to kind of take a snapshot, and you know, we'll see we'll see what happens there with with regards to when the league picks things back up. But this feels like kind of the perfect time to just see exactly where everybody's at. It kind of you know almost the halfway point of the season. Yeah, I think the last two Christmases uh, have had special meaning. The last one was really in a bubble. It was during the big first month of a big five-month shutdown. This time, and of course last year there wasn't hockey going on, and this time I think just with what's gone on, it's got a special slant to it. I know you know, Sam knows uh, a guy named John Curo. His, his mom, Leslie, is a great high school friend of mine who lives in Owen Sound. And I'm just thinking as he's chatting that we got to gotta get a Zoom call. There's about five or six of us got to get on that again around Christmas because that's, that's one thing that started. We got tired of Zoom calls, but uh, there's still some on the social side that, uh, that I like to do. So you're right. This week we're going to uh, gonna look. And, and I'm going to give a shout-out to I think they're great fans in Western New York, Buffalo Sabre, Buffalo Bills fans. So, so yesterday, uh, as you know, uh, long time, our son Justin was home from his first year uh, down at Dalhousie. For some reason, he loves the Carolina Panthers football team. Don't know. So we got the tickets for yesterday. They played the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I was under the weather, so a buddy of his drove. There were five, five of them uh, drove uh, to Buffalo. Wouldn't you know the Panthers then, their kicker got hurt in the pregame warm-up. So they didn't have much of a chance. So anyway, he's texted me. I said, be careful wearing the Christian McCaffrey's jersey, even though he's injured, but be careful wearing that in a visiting spot. So I got a text from him, and he said, oh, man, almost had a fight, whatever. And I'm going, so I'm getting back. Take the jersey off. I go, you don't want to get in one of those. So anyway, he phoned and said, no, no, here's what happened was he was actually in line. He said everyone was quite nice when they're going through the tailgate parties. He was in the infamous uh, uh, washrooms there up there, which are, something that needed to be replaced, but um, so a few guys were busting him friendly about it. Then one guy became a real jerk to him, and it was a Bills fan that actually grabbed the guy and put him against the wall and just told him to settle down. It was kind of, yeah, it was a good Samaritan thing. So there you go. Even in the even in the overzealous NFL crowd, and I've seen them in Buffalo in every venue going, and that, that anyway, thanks to that, about that, that you saw the Christmas spirit prevailed for the guy in the Christian McCaffrey jersey that had no choice but to try to relieve himself at some point. It's an emotional story. <laughs> wow. Uh, now it's me. It's not Ben Ennis. I heard Ben Ennis made a cameo on the show. While he I was did. Gone, he hacked in. You were you were talking about something, and then I thought it was a great bit of I can't connect, and I thought it was just roasting you for your inability to literally flick a switch on your headset. Uh, but no, I Ben couldn't. Ennis hacking into the show. <laughs> That's incredible. God, we gotta get back in the studio. Anyways, I'll save that for a different. It's just it's so hard to do these like this. But um, I love that story about about. Um, the Bills Mafia. I've never gone to an NFL football game. It's one of my sort of. I, I'd love to do it. I, I just. I'm sh- sure the Bills uh, tailgate's super fun. But here's the thing. I wouldn't cheer for any. Like I don't care about any team enough to go into enemy territory to wear another jersey like that. I guess I'd do it for the Leafs. But there's even certain ranks for the Leafs I wouldn't do it for. Like I don't think I'm gonna go into Philly or maybe That's even bought. Even Boston, there's certain spots where I would be have a little bit of trepidation about going into an arena because I just, you know, I went and saw the Jays play the White Sox uh, for a weekend series one time, and that's like, I mean, the south side of Chicago is a whole different kettle of fish, I guess, than going to a Bills game, but boy, 
there's a couple times during those games where I was like, this is getting a little scary here. This is getting a little greasy. So, uh, and you know, I'm never outspoken when it comes to Jay's game. So I, I definitely wouldn't have been bringing it on myself. But yeah, it can be a little scary of an experience going to an American team's. They take it pretty serious down there. They like to have a little scrap here and there. I guess they do here too. I just, I love that your son Justin has his own Ryan Reeves and he doesn't even know the guy. Just handling business, acting <laughs> as his protector down in uh, down in Buffalo there. Yeah, it is funny with opposing opposing Barnes going into it because there are some that it's a non-starter. Philly is first and foremost the one that I think most people think of is, I mean, what, what's the old thing when it was the, with at an Eagles game in Philly? They threw batteries at Santa Claus. Like if they're going to throw <laughs> batteries at Santa, I don't know that they're going to think too kindly of my Leafs jersey. Uh, the last one I kind of did of that was Leafs, Montreal, Saturday night, you know, bucket list, a bucket list item. It's as special as it gets. And that's kind of, I think, the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost platonic rivalry. Like, there is so much hatred that it crosses over into just respect because you are the two kind of tentpole franchises for the league. Montreal has all the titles. Toronto, Hockey of the Center Universe. And it just feels like it's kind of the perfect level of animosity that it just turns into, oh, I hate how much I respect you. And it was just, uh, it, was a, uh, it was a great scene. So, yeah, I mean, anytime, who knows when that'll be, when we all get to uh, make trips to go see games. But, yeah, uh, Gord, I love you, uh, I love you telling us about uh, your son Justin's uh, tales there. Because, man, well, as you yeah. said, NFL crowds, a uh, completely different animal. And Bill's Mafia, uh, definitely one of those. Uh, not in terms of the violence, but definitely in terms of just general recklessness. Stuff is on fire. People are throwing themselves through tables. <laughs> just a lot going on down there. Now, if you ever get a chance, you got just, I was watching a special on the legendary Drew Pierce of the Dallas Cowboys. And if you get a chance to Google that, uh, they talked about it, that one of his kids, she was married to um, a longtime Philadelphia Eagles fans of all things. And you know that bitter, bitter rivalry, the mm-hmm. Cowboys and the Eagles. Did you see Drew Pearson when the draft was in? And she said that her the son-in-law suggested, why don't you announce the Dallas pick when the draft's in Philadelphia? So he announced the second-round pick, the Dallas Cowboys, and Roger Goodell's there. Roger Goodell couldn't believe it, but he just kept going, and he just about all the great uh, what what Dallas had succeeded in Philadelphia. He was so funny, couldn't stop it, and just getting booed. The cra- but they even had to chuckle a bit. But the booing continued, and he just kept adding more Dallas wins. About thank you Philadelphia for the Super Bowl championships and all the games we won. And he was he was phenomenal. It's a good little clip that way. That it was almost like a war, and they took a little bit of speaking of Christmas, a Christmas truce, while uh, while Drew Pearson. <laughs> spewed all that stuff out. It was done for one time only for a few minutes in, in, in friendly taste by the Eagle fans. Oh, I know exactly the clip you're talking about. It is great. He is like a military general just spouting off the accomplishments of his troops there in enemy territory. It was just, uh, it was just incredible. And just a quick bit of news before we head out here. The oh. Leafs have confirmed this evening that all players and staff that entered the COVID-19 protocol have returned home from Vancouver and are isolating at home. So uh, that's great news because we don't want anybody yeah. to get a, be away from their family around Christmas time. Love to see it, yeah. them. Even though and if you're supposed to pick them up at the airport, you've screwed up because they're already home. Just so you Yeah, know. come on, Sammy. <laughs> yeah. Get on it. You're doing everything for Leafs Nation here, including producing us this week. Gord Stellick, Brent Gunning, we'll be with you all week. Well, not Friday. We got stuff to do. Uh, Derek Brendale helping us out. Thanks so much for you guys listening. Again, Leafs Nation on our podcast feed, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.